This morning's scripture is the entire chapter of Luke 15, and it is indeed intentional that I read the entire chapter of Luke 15. I do not believe it is intended to be split up, though you can split it up. But I think Luke 15 is one story. It is indeed one story, though there are three stories even amidst the one story. You can't break, but you can't break the three stories up. You really can't. And so we're going to be reading all of Luke 15, and then I'll be preaching uh, from this text. With that being said, let, let us go to God in prayer before opening up the Scriptures. Almighty and gracious God, we know that, that if we just read this in our flesh and in our, in our own strength, that, that there will be nothing good coming of this. And so we need Your Spirit. We need Your Spirit to come and enlighten the truth of this text in our, in our life. Enlighten this so that we might live and, and, and walk in accordance to Your will. And so, Lord, would You use this Scripture to reveal Your truth to us. And may we, in seeing the truth, apply it deeply to our lives and follow the ways that You command us today. Lord, be gracious to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, that is, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not lead the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly their best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked, What did these things meant? And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This ends the reading of God's Word. I went to a seminary called Reformed Theological Seminary. And I guess you could say at the heart of Reformed Theological Seminary was the doctrines of the Protestant Reformation. It's the, for those that are not familiar with that, it's the time when, when Martin Luther really kind of separated from the Catholic Church because he saw some things that were not what he thought were kosher. And of course, of course the, moment, uh, the moment that actually brought this to a head is uh, the moment when he took the 95 theses and hammered them to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. Now, in my seminary, one of, my fa- one of the most memorable moments that I ever experienced was when uh, one of my professors said, You Reformed theologians, yes, you guys love the Reformation. I know that, I know that. He's, and you, of course, know that the 95 theses are such an integral part of the Protestant Reformation. Right, 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 yes, yes. You guys love it. Raise your hands, raise your hands, yes. And so all the hands went up. Oh, yes, we love Luther and the 95 theses. And he said, can you name me one of those theses? <laughs> no hands went up. <laughs> I'm not answering that question. He's like, I'm not asking for the whole thing of it. He's just, give me the first one. No one said it. Well, if you've ever read the 95 Theses, you know that the first one, in large part, articulates the entire whole of the 95 Theses. And do you know what the, the entire whole of the 95 Theses revolved around? Does anyone know? Most of the time, don't. If, if the theologians have no idea, do you, you want to know what it's about? It's about repentance. Mm. It's about repentance. And the thing that Martin, saw, Martin Luther saw in the church of his day was this warped view of repentance. And so the first theses that he wrote, the first one, the first one that all these uh, church leaders would read and they'd have a dialogue. I mean, that's the main idea was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. You see, Luther challenged the idea and the understanding of repentance in his day, and he literally turned the world upside down. If we fail to understand true repentance, we we end up warping our world. We end up warping our families. We end up warping our culture. But as Martin Luther said, So bravely did, he got to the heart of true repentance and he reformed the world as we know it. I can honestly say in the last 500 years since Luther um, posted those 95 theses, there is probably not a more radical moment in the entire history of the world in the last 500 years more meaningful and relevant than that. 
getting to the true heart of repentance. What is true repentance? What is it that Martin Luther tried to get at? If I'm being honest about who we are as a church today, I think we have fallen away from true repentance. And so we need to get back to the heart of true repentance. That we might see reformation in the lives and the hearts of people we love. That we might see transformation in our own lives. And so the question becomes, where do we find true repentance? Well, it is my conviction and in my belief, and I'm going to show you here in a second, that Luke 15, at its heart, gets at true repentance. Of course, you can look at this text uh, and see that the story that Jesus tells, or simply put, the three stories that Jesus tells, is one parable. One parable telling telling one specific thing. And that is of repentance. Look at the first story that He tells. A sheep is lost. And then they go look for it. And they find it. And then they celebrate. And what is the point that Jesus makes after telling that story? What does he say? Verse 10, you can see it. I tell you there is more joy, or excuse me, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The story of the lost sheep is about repentance. Now look at the second story. The second story is the, is the story of the lost coin. A coin is lost, a search has gone out, a coin is found, and there's a celebration. And what's the point? Verse 10 of this story. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who what? Repents. Repents. And so now you have this third story. And this third story mimics much of the first two stories. Something is lost. Something is lost. And if you have any sense of it, you can just read it. The one who is lost is this younger brother. He's gone off into a far country. He's he's gone. Something is found. The younger brother comes home. A party is held. But what's missing in this story? What's the point of this story? There's no mention of repentance. I want you to see that this is the story of true repentance. Now, who is Jesus telling this story to? We can see this right in verses 1, 2, and 3. He's hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with sinners. And they're drawing near to Jesus. And the religious scribes and Pharisees are grumbling, aren't they? This man receives sinners. And he eats with them. How dare he? And who does Jesus tell this story to? To the religious. And he says, you religious have a warped view of repentance. And I'm going to tell you a story to get to the heart of true repentance. So I'm going to unpack this story in light of that. Trying to get at true repentance and then trying to compel you to repent truly. To accomplish this, we're going to do three things. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to expose counterfeit repentance. Then we're going to define true repentance. And lastly, I'm going to call you to true repentance. What did Martin Luther say in his first theses? When our Lord Jesus and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's what I'm going to seek to do for you today. So first, we're going to expose counterfeit repentance. 
Have you ever had a $20 bill rejected at a store? Uh, I haven't. Um, but oftentimes when I have a crisp, clean, new $20 bill and you hand it to the, to the clerk, she'll take a pen. Have you ever seen this? Or he'll take a pen, whoever it is, and he'll, they'll mark it. And if it's a certain color, it's, it's good. Now, I've never had the color come up wrong. I don't know what color would come up. But if it came up a certain color, we would know, they would know, that that bill is a counterfeit. And what you just paid for, whatever you just paid for, is not good. That which is counterfeit often looks exactly like the real thing. But it is actually fake. And what we see in this story is a depiction of counterfeit repentance. It looks real. It looks the same. And on the surface, man, that really doesn't look like it. But in truth, it's fake. Now, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. What indeed is repentance? Well, Jesus makes his, obviously, he, he mentions repentance two times in his story. And the word that he uses in this story for repentance is metanoitunu. I can't even, like, metanunti, metanunti, okay? It's the word for repentance. And the word repentance is defined in this way. Repentance is a change of mind which results in a change of lifestyle. You want to kind of get just at the sense of what repentance is. A change of mind which results in a change of life. And so in placing this understanding of repentance on the third story in which Jesus tells of the younger son coming back to his father, we can see there seems to be repentance, especially when he comes to himself in verse 17. There's a change of mind and a desire for a change of lifestyle. But when we look deep into the things that he says while he's in that pig pen, we can realize the things that he's actually saying is counterfeit repentance. Let's look at this. Look with me at verse 17. In verse 17, the younger brother who has wasted his resources on reckless and godless living comes to himself and he reasons this. How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, and note the three things that he plans to say to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Second, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Third, treat me as one of your hired servants. To this younger son, repentance to him, this change of lifestyle consists of four things. Going to the father, acknowledging and owning his sin, recognizing and acknowledging that what his sin has done has harmed the relationship. No longer is he worthy to be called a son. And lastly, to work as a servant. And of course, Jesus says the younger son did these things. He rose and went to his father in verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, 21, it says, the father saw him and felt compassion and then embraced him and kissed him. And look what the son does in verse 21. He begins his spiel that he had prepared in the pig pen. Number one, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Three, wait a minute. Where's the third thing that he prepared to say? In fact, there is no third statement. I think these are some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. You really, really, really got to see this. But the Father. (laughs) But the Father cut him off. But the father 
cut him off. And what does he do? He immediately commands his servants to bring the best robe, his ring, and a new pair of shoes to get the fattened calf and kill it so that they might celebrate. Where's this third statement? I think when we study the third statement, we get to see, I think, what counterfeit repentance really is. Let's look at this. What is the third statement that he had prepared to say to the Father? Treat me as one of your hired servants. In this day and age, a servant was someone who was indebted to another. And the idea is that they had to serve until they paid back their debt. It's an indentured servant. And the son, having wasted away all the money that his father had given to him, now feels indebted to his dad. And in his mind, he says, now I have to work to pay everything back. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What we see in this is this. The understanding of the younger son is that repentance ultimately looks like becoming a slave. Turning from godlessness to godliness. Remember, this is counterfeit repentance. Godlessness to godliness. I have to go be a slave to God. I I was running away from God, now I have to be a slave to Him. Repentance in his mind is running from godlessness to godliness. And my friends, we must be very weary. Remember, it's counterfeit repentance. Repentance is not godlessness to godliness. It is something far different. And let me just speak very plainly about church today. This is probably one of the most difficult things for us as Christians or even as non-Christians to understand. Because when we hear the call to repent, what we hear most often is this. Turn from your wicked ways and obey God's holy ways. This is what we hear. And so we think the Christian life is one of godliness. And indeed, it is. But that's not what repentance is, my friends. If we think godlessness to godliness, we are believing a counterfeit repentance. And here's what we must do. We must throw that counterfeit repentance away. This is what Jesus was doing with these Pharisee leaders and who were of His day. They wouldn't even go near those who were godless because to be godless is like, oh, can't even be around you. We must throw it off. And I hope I exposed a little bit about what counterfeit repentance is. Because we got to see it before we define what true repentance is. What is true repentance? We've exposed counterfeit repentance. What indeed is true repentance according to Jesus? Well, I'm just going to take you back to what we just read. I'm going to take you right back to verse 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. What is true repentance? The younger son arises and goes to his father. That's true repentance. He confesses that he has sinned against heaven and against his father. That's true repentance. He acknowledges that he's no longer worthy to be called a son. Fourth, he receives the embrace of the father. He doesn't even get to rehearse, treat me as one of your hired servants. You want to know what true repentance is? True repentance is going to God. 
It is confessing your sins. It is acknowledging that sin has separated from you, separated you from God. And it is a willingness to be embraced by the merciful Father and celebrate with Him. How in the world can we make sense of true repentance? I really want to say this very plainly and simply. True repentance is going from godlessness to God. Godlessness to God. You see how, going back to counterfeit repentance, right? We, we often assuage this godlessness to godliness because godliness is good. Like, working for the Lord and obeying Him is good. But that's not repentance. Repentance is going from godlessness, this independence that we do our own life, to a dependence on God. It is godlessness to God. And allowing His mercy and His grace to shower us, to bathe us in His riches. And I will say this, true repentance is far more difficult than counterfeit repentance. It is giving up one independence and making oneself wholly dependent on God and His mercy. And this receiving offends our pride. It's no longer about us. It's about God. So let me apply this to your life very plainly. What repentance are you seeking in the day-to-day? When you fail or when you sin, do you feel like you have to work to get back to God? That you have to clean up your life and do certain things and read your Bible and pray just so God might just have your ear. You'll have His ear because now you're holy and righteous and doing good. If that is the case, then you're pursuing a counterfeit repentance. Or is your repentance one of this? Lord, I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then being willing to be embraced by a merciful and loving father as the younger one did. If you choose the former, you will remain in your sin. You will be like the older brother who refused to enter the party at the end of the story. But if, like the younger son, you receive his embrace and true repentance, you will be showered with God's blessing. So, my friends, I wanted to expose counterfeit repentance. I wanted to define true repentance. Lastly, I want to compel you to true repentance, which is what I'm going to seek to do the rest of this morning. How can we be compelled to true repentance? How can we compel our friends, our neighbors, our family to true repentance? How can we get people to turn from their godless ways to God? It's very simply. We have to see God for who He is. We have to see God for who He is. We have to see God for the very ways that Jesus described in in, in this story. And I want to tell you that there are two different ways in which we can characterize God just from this parable. Of course, when we see this parable, we can see that this parable captures the different characters in the story that Jesus is surrounded by, right? So Jesus is with sinners and tax collectors, and these Pharisees and scribes are coming to Him, and so He tells them a story, and they can interpret really quickly that Jesus is telling a story about all of them and about God. Who is who's the sinners and the tax collectors in the story that He tells? Is it not the younger brother who has gone away and run off and done his own thing, and he's lived this godless life? 
Who is described in the Pharisees? Is it not the stuck-up older brother who's just like a stick in the mud and just grumpy and just nasty? Who's the father in this story? It is it not God? Is it not God? Now there's one person left out in this story that we often miss. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus in this story? Well, we're going to get to that. But I'm going to talk about the Father in this story and how the Father characterizes and captures who the Father is because when we see who the Father really is, I'm telling you, you're going to be increasingly compelled to repent, to truly repent. Well, who is the Father? Look at this. First, He's compassionate. The Father is compassionate. He sees the Son who is far away coming back and He actually feels compassion. He feels it. Like in His heart. And He starts to run. And He runs to the Son. And He gets to Him before anyone else can get to Him. And He kisses Him. You see, the Father is very compassionate. How often do you think of God as a compassionate grace-pursuing God who will run to you when you come beat up, bedraggled. Perhaps you don't. But the Father in this story is incredibly compassionate. But not only is He compassionate, the Father in this story listens. You know, the Son begins to speak what He had rehearsed. And, and, and He's able to go through it. He's able to confess to His Father how He's done. And He listens. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, God, the triune God, will listen and forgive. But there's a point in which He'll cut you off because He's got something more exciting things to do because He has His mercy and His grace to shower upon you. Look at the other thing that the Father does. He clothes. He clothes. He leaves the Son not in His rags that the Son is in, but he clothes him in a robe. And what is the robe that he says that he clothes him in? The best. The best. In my, our tradition in our church, we talk about putting on the righteousness of Christ as if a robe. It's the best that Jesus has to offer. We get to wear the robe of Christ. The Father puts it on us. This is what we're clothed in. And look at the last thing. I think if we really get this last thing, maybe we would be more prone to repent more and more. What does the Father do? He celebrates. He celebrates. What are the first two stories? What are the point of the first two stories? Go back. We can read it. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do we believe that God rejoices and celebrates and parties when one of His children comes back to Him? We don't. Because oftentimes as a church, we don't celebrate as God Himself celebrates when one sinner returns to Himself. Because church oftentimes becomes about godlessness to godliness rather than godlessness to God. But you see, God is all about Himself. And when we return to Him, there is celebration. This is who God is. If we actually get to the heart and the nature and the character of God, one of mercy and love, I'm telling you, more and more people will be drawn to God. 
Why was Jesus able to draw sinners and tax collectors to himself? Because this is he was communicating who God really is. And people were like, oh, maybe I do have a chance with God. Like, really? All right, I told you that there's another characteristic of God in the story, and that is what Jesus is. Who is Jesus? How do we understand Jesus in this story? Because this is vitally important. You see, in this day and age, when something was lost, especially, and you see this in the story, a search was, okay, we lost the sheep, let's go. We got to search, we got to find this. But in this third story, is there a search? There is not. There is no search. Whose responsibility was it to search for the younger brother? Do you know culturally who it was? The older brother. What is Jesus doing in the story that in this story in Luke 15, 1 and 2? What is he doing? Who is he with? Who is he with? He's with the younger brother. He's seeking it. He's seeking to bring them back. And so what do we make of this older brother? And what I would like to call Jesus in this story is the true older brother. He's the true older brother. Well, let's look at real quick the older brother in the story. He is ticked when the younger son comes back, right? And you know why he's ticked? The party is being held in his honor. The money that is being spent on that party is his money. Why do we say this? Because the inheritance that was given to the younger son is all, yeah, yeah. So he got his. The rest of it is the older brother. And so the money being spent on this party, that fattened calf, that robe, that ring, those shoes, that's the older brother's. And he is deeply offended that his money is going for this person who spent his money all on reckless living. He gave it up. This is mine. And Jesus is doing the exact opposite. How in the world can we have mercy and love? How can we make sense of this mercy and grace? Because mercy and grace, I'm telling you, always comes at a cost. Mercy and grace is not just freely given and just, you know, spending your money on prostitutes and things like that. That's costly. Who's paying for it? You're going to pay for it when you come back and the mercy and love are given to you or the older brother is going to pay for it. Just like the older brother paid for that party. But unlike the older brother in the story Jesus tells who grumbles and complains at the party being held in his brother's name, your true older brother gladly pays the price. You see, Jesus Christ came to earth to seek and to save sinners, did He not? And to give His life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus doing when He's sitting with the sinners and the tax collectors? Is He not trying to compel them? I'm telling you, this is who God is. I'm going to pay the price needed to come back to the Father. I'm going to be the one throwing the party for you when you come back. And I'm paying out of my pocketbook my righteousness for you, my life for you, so that you who were dead can be made alive. When we begin to understand who the true older brother in this, and that he gladly and freely and lovingly pays for the party, oh, we come home. We can come home. 
Because at the heart of compelling true repentance, right? If true repentance is going from our godliness to God, we need to know who God is. And if God is merciful and gracious and willing to pay the price of the party, that's kind of a party I want to be a part of. So my friends, right now, you have the opportunity to repent. And in your repentance, don't think I've got all these things that I've got to clean up in my life. All I'm asking you to do, in the quiet of your own heart, is to go to God. Confess the ways in which you have sinned against Him. Acknowledge what the reality of that sin does in relationship to you and God. And receive the mercy and grace He bestows upon you. A mercy and grace paid for, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can go to Him. It is good. I'm telling you that this idea of true repentance can transform lives, cultures. It transformed my life. See, I grew up in a family, a very religious family. If, if I was to characterize myself, I very much saw myself as an older brother, pursuing the things of God to get the things of God. You know, in my mind, repentance was a godlessness to godliness, and I always thought I was pursuing that godly way of life. And then I heard a sermon on John chapter 9. And my eyes were open to true repentance. And I remember driving on on Interstate 75, heading back to college, listening to a sermon on John chapter 9, and my eyes being opened to what true repentance is, that repentance is our godlessness to God, and a God who is merciful and gracious. And I just said, this is it. Thanks be to God. And I literally went from a business degree, pursuing a business degree and seeking, you know, to make money, which is good, but this is this is what I this transformed my life. I said, I'm going from here, and now I'm gonna be about making this message relevant and accessible to all. And so I gave my life to making true repentance accessible and understandable. And my life has been changed. It's the same with you. There's much freedom that comes in true repentance. And so your life can be changed. Your children's lives can be changed. Our city can be changed. So let us seek true repentance our friends our neighbors and in ourselves we go from godlessness in our godless ways to god let me pray almighty god your mercy and your grace astounds us we don't deserve it in fact it's just the opposite we deserve to be punished and to be judged and to be thrown out. Your mercy and your grace decides otherwise. And because of Jesus, not only the mercy and grace can be bestowed on us, but we get to celebrate with you. Again, we don't deserve it, but we gladly receive it. And in receiving it, Lord, may we remember the joys that comes in being your children securely in your arms, safe from sin, access, access, the ability to access all your riches. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Amen.